Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Doom Production Podcast. And as you probably know, over the past couple of weeks, we've had some really awesome guests. And this week is no different. Here we've got Mohit today, and he is going to be joining us where we're talking about some of his films and what he's got coming out. And you just a movie uh, come out not too long ago um, with that you uh, worked in, um, which we'll talk about too. So, yeah, glad to have you on the podcast. Uh, great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. This should be a good conversation. Um, obviously, yeah. the film that you were referring to was Void Man, which came out uh, about a year ago. So, yeah. Let's we're just it. on top of it. Here. We're, yeah. <laughs> this this podcast is very overdue, I feel, because um, I think, was Void Man early 2022 or was it end of 2021? It was uh, Christmas Day, twenty twenty one. Oh, and, but it was actually shot. It was actually shot in uh, over the court, like on December of twenty twenty and January of twenty twenty one. Oh, wow. so I spent I spent in one entire year editing the entire film over the course of twenty twenty one, trying to reach the December twenty fifth deadline. Oh, nice. And, well, and shot only in two months. Yeah, two to two to three months, like two and a half months. I think we did go over into like February a little bit. And then, like, throughout the year, I'd also, like, I'd shoot some of, like, the inserts and close-ups and whatnot. Wow. That's awesome. Nice. Um, well, regardless, um, the movie's been out for a bit, and we've been meaning to meet with with you, and, you know, we've been, or if you hear barking, it's this little... I don't know, that's fire. Um, we've been meaning to meet with you for... Oh, there she goes. We've been meeting with you. Shh. Oh, there's a delivery man. Oh, oh and I was just excited. You know, some real Hideokan stuff. She's also very, she's a big fan of uh, Void Man and soap opera. Oh, yeah. Anyways, yeah. we've been meeting. This has been long overdue, and we've been really looking forward to talking with Moat. So why don't you introduce yourself to anybody that doesn't know who you are? Yeah, okay. So uh, my name is Mohit Subedi. Um, I live in Sydney, Australia. Uh, I've made two feature films, Soap Opera when I was 17 and Void Man when I was 19. I'm currently 20. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm a fan of cinema. I've always loved cinema since I was 10 years old. And I think, you know, my lifelong uh, passion and, and goal in life is to become a, a filmmaker within the Hollywood system. Um, yeah, I guess that's that's my introduction. Awesome. What kind of... Um... Like starting out, what were some of the movies that inspired you into filmmaking? Are there any like picks you have? Yeah, so the the film I cite always is The Dark Knight Rises because I watched that film on my tenth birthday, and I, I went. I told the story before, but I went to the cinema and I sat down, and I really needed to go to the bathroom. But I think we were literally just talking about this before. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the Zoom, the that um I have this like big philosophy that when you sit down and like engage in something you can't really get up and leave or like interrupt the process now telling you guys i watched you know zack snyder's justice league one sitting void man obviously one sitting so i'm sitting here in the theater and i really need to go to the bathroom and then the film starts and i was 10 years old i don't know why i adopted this philosophy at the age of 10 but i said you know what the film started i'm, I'm going in you know so i formed my bladder and i sat and i watched that three hour epic but i mean over the course of those three hours it was like 
a mind-blowing um, experience. I like was absolutely just completely taken away from the film. Um, and it got, literally like changed my life. Like leaving that cinema, I was like, oh my God. And then in the car ride back from the film, I, I was with my brother and a couple of his older friends. They were mentioning Christopher Nolan. They were mentioning Christopher Nolan's name. And I took a mental note of that name. And then later on in the year, my brother sat me down. And he said, hey, you need to watch Inception like right now. And I was like, okay, sure. And he's like, it's by Christopher Nolan, like the same guy who made The Dark Knight. And like the concept of a director and the concept of like the artist who like curates the project and curates the, the product, that was not something that I'd really conceptualized at that age or really was aware of until I sat down and watched Inception and realized, oh my God, like this is like, I've, I've recognized the voice in the filmmaker. I recognized the voice in Inception that you could also hear in The Dark Knight Rises or The Dark Knight. And then uh, from there, I watched, you know, I watched The Prestige, I watched Memento, I watched Following, I watched every single Chris Nolan film up until that point. And it kind of just clicked with me that one person made these like series of films that like at first glance may not seem anything related to each other, like the Inception and The Dark Knight Rises. To a 10-year-old, you might not find any link between those two products. But then once you, you know, put the director into question or once you, you know, realize that there is a there is a person behind these films, that's when it all clicked and then I identified the the concept of the artist or of the director and then I just and I realized that, that that is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So yeah. It's it's sorry, I muted myself. Sorry. <laughs> it's all good. It's cool that you mentioned the Dark Knight Rises because when I watched Void Man for the first time I think um, pretty early on in the movie, like right away, it blew me at the scope and the energy of the movie, um, of everything, all these moving pieces. And it reminded me of moments of like the Dark Knight Rises or the Dark Knight, like lots of montage kind of bits or stuff yeah. like from Goodfellas or something. Um, yeah. So it's cool to see that you reference, um, like that was a, big influence for you is the Dark Knight Rises because I can totally see that in Void Man. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think um I think I learned early on as well making films that it's very easy to well not maybe not easy, but it's very effective to pull from your inspirations and build off of that. So the films that inspired me, you know, the the, the Dark Knight Rises or the Goodfellas or Godfather or Magnolia. I don't know if you guys have seen Magnolia mm -hmm. yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson. That film is a huge, huge influence on Void Man. Um, like literally the three-hour runtime and the pace and the like scope of that film. I watched I watched that film I think on like October twenty-second of of twenty twenty, like right before I was about to shoot Void Man. And when I watched um, I watched Magnolia a Friday night, and then the following Friday night I watched The Godfather Part Two for the first time. So <laughs> those two films just absolutely blew my mind and. Uh, after watching those two films pretty much back to back, I did the final rewrite of the Void Man screenplay, and I like think I like finally like figured out the pace and like the the sort of the tone or like the the intensity of the film. And then from there, I just you know I I know I wanted to make this you know three hour epic. I wanted to make this big grand uh, like all encompassing film with these like giant universal themes and all these like different interpretations and. I wanted to go, I wanted to just put everything into this film. And I, I ultimately spent, I think, like two and a half years 
in total working on Void Man. Um, wow. And yeah. Rash. What was that writing process like? I mean, because there's so many strands and things that you're pulling from, and there's so much happening in that movie. Like, I mean, can we go dive in a little bit more on like what that was like writing the movie for you? Yeah. So writing the film, I started writing the film on July 6th of 2020, and I finished writing the screenplay. I believe it was, I want to say like November 19th, um, 2020. So it was about like five five months or so but that was the it was an intense writing process and there was the first half of the year i was because the way so in 2019 in august i released a soap opera and that film comes out that's my very first feature film i'm 17 and it's this huge thing because i'm like oh my god you know i accidentally made a feature film because a soap opera was never intended to be a feature it was meant to be a short and then you know, I put it together, I composed it all. I'm like, oh my God, this is two hours and 12 minutes. And I realized that I'm now, I'm now a feature filmmaker, right? So then, um, after that, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to definitely make it like another film, obviously. And it's, this is going to be bigger. This is going to be better. This is going to be everything. And I was graduate. I knew I was graduating high school in 2020. Um, and so I knew that at the end of 2020, that would be my filming process. Cause there'd be like a three month gap where like the transitory period when everyone leaves high school but you know goes into university of tape or works or whatever mm-hmm. so i i gave my you know so then i for the for the first half of 2020 i started to like think about what is this next film that i'm going to be filming at the end of the year you know and the pressure was kind of on because i was like i need to think of something like quickly and i was thinking and thinking and thinking and um i went through this phase where i would wake up and I would have this film idea and I'd think, oh my God, yes. And I would sit, I'd spend the whole day thinking about it. And then I'd go to sleep and I'd wake up and think, oh my God, that that idea I had yesterday was terrible. Like I'm not making that film, that's a bad film. And I was just this vicious cycle. I do that every single day until eventually I I thought of this this film about this like, this vigilante, this person who has no real meaning in life, who then tries to kind of create meaning um, through just, you know, hacks of heroism or vigilante but then there's like a sort of a moral like a questionable moral ethic to the film and for some reason that idea stuck and then the next day i woke up and i thought you know that's actually i, I want to keep exploring that right and i think this does also go back to what i was mentioning earlier like the films that influenced me um superhero cinema has like really inspired me you know um when i watched avengers endgame for the very first time that was like my favorite film of all time at the time or you know the Dark Knight Rises or the Dark Knight, I think the modern the modern blockbuster is like a lot of it's the films that a lot of people are introduced to at the beginning, and it's like often the most inspiring. And so I I knew I wanted to make my own kind of blockbuster. So there was all of these elements kind of bubbling up from the surface, like from my childhood and from what I wanted to do. And I'm also a huge fan of long films. I, I don't know why, but I really got into long films over the course of 2020. Like I said, Magnolia, The Godfather Part Two. So all of these things just start to infuse, and then eventually, I um, July comes around, and I you know I turn uh, 18. I'm, I'm my 18th birthday is July 5th, and I realize like okay, on my I realize on my 18th birthday like yeah, the Void Man is definitely this is this is the next thing. So the next day after you know the celebrations I sat down and I started writing and I just my writing process is I don't like to outline I don't like to put the beats in I don't like to 
I don't like to know, you know, my writing process is you just dive in head first and I don't know what the next scene after the, you know, the scene I'm writing is going to be, right? When I do write, I mean, well, the, the, I always say the five things I know when I write is the opening scene, um, the end of act one, the midpoint, the end of act two, and the ending. So those are the five points that I try to hit. But it always changes and it's always up in the air. And the, the original ending of Void Man was very different to what it ended up being. So I'm the person who likes to write without really knowing where I'm going. And I just like to let the story kind of take its course until it reaches a natural conclusion. And uh, yeah. That's okay. cool. So going back to your superhero comments um, really quick. Um what are your thoughts on people who say there's a superhero fatigue or a Marvel fatigue or anything like that? Do you have any I, opinions on the debate of, you know, superhero movies? Yeah, I mean, look, I definitely have opinions. I think, you know, I have opinions about a lot of things. With the with the superhero, with the conversation around sort of superhero cinema at this moment, I think, I don't know, I think, you know, it's, I think with most things in life, um, there's always going to be like the extreme of one thing and the extreme of the other. And, and the reality, the truth is that it's, you know, the truth is found somewhere in the middle. I think that there is a sense of like superhero fatigue that is setting in, especially this year. Um, I think, you know, phase four of the MCU, I think is like phase four of the MCU has, was wrapped with black, black Panther will kind of forever. But I think it's like double the, the runtime of phase four is like double the runtime of uh, phase three and phase two and phase one. I think that the, you know, the superhero cinema is really sort of overtaking the market at this moment. And it's, it's now bleeding into things like streaming. It's bleeding into, it's, it's creating this monoculture that's like really demanding uh, a lot, you know? And I think, I mean, like Black Panther will kind of forever, I believe it had like a 52% box office drop from its opening weekend to its second weekend, which was like, and it's not going to make a billion dollars. Right, like that's the projected sales. Black Panther, uh, the first one, it made a billion dollars. It was nominated for Best Picture, and everyone was kind of there's no there's not a single Marvel film this year that is going to break a billion dollars probably, which I think is very telling. It's like the first year in a while um, that has that has never achieved that. And so I think there are clear signs that there is like genuine superhero fatigue kicking in. I think the way to combat that, and I think the way that that can be like solved is that just by that, you know, the MCU can't be the single proprietor of, of superhero films, you know, the DCU needs to like bring in their own kind of counterweight. There needs to be counterweight. There needs to be kind of healthy competition. I know, you know, we, you probably have a lot of thoughts on what's happening um, at the DCU right now, DCEU, sorry. Um, with, you know, Henry Cavill leaving. I know you guys are like big, big Zack Snyder fans, big Henry Cavill fans. So I'm, I'm quite interested in what your opinion is on this, but there definitely needs to be counterweight. And I, you know, I think earlier this year, um, the Batman with Rob, with Rob Pattinson came out. I really loved that film. I really, really enjoyed that film. I think there was actually like quite a few like comparisons to Voidman. Even though Voidman came out before the Batman, there are like a lot of things that are very similar you know the runtime the structure of the film um and i think 
films like that 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 provides a nice counterweight even though it did make a billion dollars but it's still it's a fresh and and a new interpretation you need to keep you need to keep it fresh and keep it new or else it's going to die out you know and the, the simple the way the batman looks it looks very different to an mcu film or a russo brothers film where it's just like a gray very muted palette you know um so yeah i just think that counterweight and sort of there needs to be a bit of a push and pull in the industry to like really promote a healthy and long lasting um lifespan for it yeah yeah i know i can speak for ethan and i when i say uh our opinions on the whole thing with Zack Snyder is just, we're just excited for Rebel Moon. Just, that's going to yeah. be awesome. We loved Army of the Dead. Uh, Rebel Moon looks like it's yeah. going to be awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Have we have we talked about the superhero stuff, Ethan, on our show before? Or, or it's been a while. <laughs> I can't remember. It's been a hot minute since we brought it up. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know in the last time we did. I know we've talked Star Wars. I'm surprised we haven't done a Zack Snyder episode yet. Well, do you do you guys have any opinions on like Henry Cavill leaving? Ethan, you go. You, floor is yours. I'll go next. Man, yeah, no, it was it was a surprise in the sense of like knowing that he left The Witcher in like order to come back to play Superman and that he had a, a cameo role in Black Adam. That was like, what I think it was, there was a lot of hope there that it was setting the floor for something more to come. And so to to kind of have that announcement come shortly after that he's he's not coming back and that that was, that was it. Um, I mean, I think a lot of fans will all agree that that was just a huge bummer moment. And um, like fans of the DCEU, um, particularly uh, what's what Zach was doing, but didn't just in general, like wanting those, those characters and those stories to be successful. I think it's just been a lot of not great news, like just very regularly from that. And that's just kind of not, not the funnest thing when you're a big fan of these characters and you want those stories to be told well. Um, yeah. I don't know. Jordan, do you want to jump in on anything? Superman? Yeah. It was sad. Um, He's probably my favorite Superman we've had. He's like well, you, there. You have that. You have that Superman tattoo, right? Yeah, yeah, right here. Yeah. So Superman's my favorite, and he's he's definitely like, if he's not my favorite Superman, he's at least tied for first. He like he's up there for me. Um. So it's it's yeah it's I'm sad with that, but the DCU as a as a whole like this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to stop myself because there's so much, but I will say, uh, this is from someone who has never run a studio, who doesn't know how all the intricacies, but follows the stories and rumors very well. It's a hot mess over there. Yeah. It seems like, and from a fan perspective, they seem to be doing a lot of stuff to please the haters of whatever property they're like i don't know it's 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 a it's a it's kind of a mess and it's it's disappointing to see um and i can't you know we talk about the dark knight rises i i can't believe that it's the same studio that released um the dark knight trilogy because those were 
at the time, I mean, influenced you, but influ- I mean, influenced us totally as well. Yeah, 100%. But yeah. I think everybody can agree at the time, the Dark Knight trilogy were kind of seen as like the godfather of blockbuster comic book movies of like, mm. this is the best of auteur filmmaking and Hollywood blockbuster filmmaking combined. Like this is the best 100%. it can be. Yeah. Um, and that's not a comment on the quality of DC's newer stuff at all. Cause I don't, frankly, I don't care if you liked or disliked Suicide Squad or Black Adam or Stack Signers, just like what, regardless of the quality, um, the studio behind those films has shown, according to the leaks and rumors, of course, show like a lot of like studio meddling like it seems like there's a lot of studio meddling and not giving filmmakers true autonomy over their their films so it's really weird to see that this is the same studio that stood behind chris nolan um and in making his trilogy to see them kind of micromanage and also fumble the ball at the same time it's 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 really weird so that's what i'll say because otherwise we'd be sitting here talking for hours and hours talking about everything. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of soap opera, because I, I, um, I saw soap opera. I can't remember when I saw it exactly, but recently this week I saw your behind the scenes video for soap opera. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that is such a great behind the scenes video, um, for kind of capturing what it feels like to make your first movie, your first film. And yeah. there's a bit in there, which I got to send to you because it cracks me up where you're talking about scheduling and the craziness of scheduling. Gosh. You know, it is so perfect. Like I, you got to check it out. I'll send you like the timestamp and everything. I can already feel this. <laughs> it's so real. It's, it's the best, like I, however, 20 seconds or whatever it is of this video. It's like the, it encapsulates what it feels like to schedule for a no budget feature film of like high school friends so well. Um, what did you, in, in soap opera, um, what did you learn from that experience? What was the main takeaway that you have looking back, having made it already? Um, I think with soap opera, the, the main lesson, the main like sort of philosophy that I took away from that experience was that like the 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 concept of of making a feature film right making a film like that's two hours long was so alien and so foreign to 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 you know 17 year old me and then one day out of the blue like it was done like i'd done it right like i'd crossed that bridge i crossed that that barrier and i think it kind of made me realize like oh my god you know we put a lot of limitations on ourselves and what we can like truly achieve um, and when you're, when you're faced with, when you give yourself an, like an insurmountable task, it can feel insurmountable, it can feel like you can never, ever, ever achieve it. Right. And that's just often not the reality. You can really, really push yourself. Um, and things can really go into your favor if you really work hard for it. Right. So it was, it was, it's just a very like simple universal, like theme of like, when you put your mind to something, you can achieve anything, you know? that was just kind of the lesson I learned at that age. I think like when you're, when you're that young, like that's, that's a lesson you do need to learn it at your life at some point. And that just happened to be so rubber happened to be that. And that then influenced void man 
where I was like, well, if I can accidentally make a two-hour feature film, then I can purposely make a three-hour <laughs> epic, right? So it was just kind of having that like blind self-belief and like just trusting yourself and, and shooting for the stars kind of thing. Yeah. Were there, because um, I mean, it was your first feature, like first feature film. So were there things that you learned in soap opera or like mistakes that you made that as you're working on Void Man and preparing for that or, or shooting it um, that you made during soap opera that you like learned not to make during Void Man? Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I think with every single feature film we make, every like in any art form or any kind of you know when you when you embody a project, you learn a lot, and then when you go to the next thing, you you learn from that. And I always have this interpretation that like every uh, film that a filmmaker makes is like a sequel to their last film, even if then even if it's not a like a direct like narrative sequel, because it, it always builds builds upon the, the previous, right? So in soap opera, I made a lot of mistakes with that with that first film because one, the intention it was not even it was not the intention was not for it to be a feature. So it wasn't kind of paced or structured as a feature. It's just a very very long short film, right? Two, there was like a lot of I think there was a lot of technical elements that could have been improved upon. I, I shot the film on an iPhone, which I like. I have nothing against. Like I know you know a Wild Boys um, started on the iPhone. And I it was house shot on an iPhone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I have like I like iPhone photography. Um, and I think you can actually like, especially with the newer phones that are coming out, you can create some like truly beautiful products. But the audio, the audio was not great. And that's something mm -hmm. that I was like, okay, I need to fix that up. Um, there was also this like lack of like mise en scene and like atmosphere. You know, there wasn't much of a score or like an like an undergoing like tempo to the film you know and soap opera also like embodies a very like minimalist approach these are all things that kind of you know this is what the film is ultimately right like i would never change anything about it but you know it, making that kind of film a very kind of minimalist quiet uh you know single camera single frame type of film going to void man i was like okay like i want to switch things up so void man is the complete opposite right like there is there is a piece of music or like some kind of diegetic sound, all the like from minute one to minute one eighty. Um, the camera is kind of constantly moving. I'm zooming in. I'm like trying to like fill the frame with the color. Uh, every single like piece of clothing someone wears is like is meant to symbolize something. All the color there's a huge color theory that's like found throughout the entire film. The film is laced with metaphors and ambiguity. Like I'm trying to like just go ham and like try to like you know really make almost the anti-soap opera um and if you know when you watch soap opera the whole film is like very quiet and then the ending of the film uh has this like kind of loud like it has this musical piece that like is this huge sense of like catharsis and this huge you know it, it, there's like this nice sense of release at the end with the music that's because i you know i really showed restraint throughout the entire film and then there's music used at the end. With Void Man, it's actually the exact opposite. The whole film, there is there is music, there is sound, there is image, there is like this intense, um, there's a, just a lot, right? And then at the very end of the film, everything's stripped back, it's complete silence, it's very minimal, and it's like, that's like the reverse, right? So I think the two films are actually like very, 
they complement each other like really well. You can watch them back to back and you can see like, wow, these two films are like the, the yin and yang of each other. But yeah, I think it was the, the main thing I learned was just building off of soap opera. And I know when I make my, you know, my third film, I will build off Boyd Man and soap opera and, and, you know, it'll just keep going from there. Yeah. A shot that impresses me so much. I just, while you were talking about the energy of Void Man, there's this shot. I, I think it's about halfway through. You'll have to forgive me. I don't, it's been a while since I've seen it, but where you, it must have been like a drone where it goes from like a house and it like goes over the whole like city to like the girl up on the hill, like overwatching. Is that, is yeah. that right? Am I remember right? How did you yeah. pull that off? Because that shot was incredible. Yeah. I think I, my jaw hit the floor. Yeah. 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 That was. That was actually, it's funny you say that because that is one of the very few times in the film where on the day I felt like I didn't get it. I didn't get the shot. You know, when you get the shot, you yeah. kind of know, like, this is it. We tried that over multiple days and it was such a, it was like maybe the single most complicated shot of my entire career. Like, and, and I don't know if you remember this, but the shot before that is this mm-hmm. huge, like, long take that follows yeah. yep. the guy running around the house and then the car pulls in and then they come in mm-hmm. and they talk, comes back upstairs. That was a very complicated shot. And then the next one is the drone shot. Uh, it, yeah, I don't know. So I, for my 18th birthday, my friend actually got me a drone for my birthday. So I was like, I'm definitely putting this in Void Man. And then... That's so cool. I, so I tried to utilize the drone as best I could, but basically it was a drone shot. So we start from the window with the drone he's like out the window and then the drone comes down uh like comes out comes down uh the character walks through and then you're meant to follow the character into the car the character gets in the car drives down the street the drone drives down the street and then flies into the girl's face yeah very complicated shot like three very intricate like movements there um yeah i don't know i mean that's that's kind of how i achieved it i think I think there are always going to be moments like that in your films where you really try to push yourself and you push the ambition. And I think it's actually very healthy to be just slightly more ambitious than you actually can afford to be because it will, like, you know, you can create incredible product, but you will learn a lot at the end of the day. That's I do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I, I don't know how anybody watches Void Man and can immediately be hit by the pure ambition of the whole thing. I mean, I think I, I very distinctly remember watching the movie and I think texting Ethan, maybe it was you or maybe it was you and the RC boys, but I was like, mm-hmm. this is the most ambitious YouTube movie I've seen yet. Just the yeah. scale, the scope, the how the camera was constantly moving. Um, I mean, a lot of movies have come out since then on YouTube and I haven't seen all of them, but I'm from my memory, it feels like the biggest in scale in terms of a, a YouTube movie in an, an amazing way. So even if, you know, kind of like you, I kind of like said, like, if you feel like you didn't get the shot or if you feel like, oh, gee, maybe I, I didn't meet my vision, your vision is so big. Like, even if you make it halfway there, it's way above where everybody else is playing, if, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And so I really appreciate that about Void Man is, I mean, to me and Ethan, it's like, oh my gosh, the sure ambition the scale this is perfect like this is great but then you're like oh maybe i didn't reach it or maybe i didn't do this but that's what's great about us because we don't know all the production stuff necessarily um talk about ambition more in terms of your next film because you 
it's kind of cool to hear you explain soap opera and I was very restrained and void man, you wanted to go in the opposite direction and in a different way. Where do you want to go with your third film? Yes. Third film, film three. Um, yeah, well, I mean, like, to be honest, you know, I, I, I don't really know what the third film is. Obviously there are a lot of like ideas kind of circulating around my head you know i will drop this i will drop this exclusive this might age really well and it might not age at all but i think i think for my third film i do want to do black and white i think i want to make the black and white uh noir type film i think with my with my third film so as i as i mentioned like you always kind of build upon your last project i think you know, soap opera, I did demonstrate a lot of restraint and then Void Man, I tried to really go for it. But I think with soap opera, the restraint that was demonstrated was due to a lot of limitations or kind of like, uh, you know, adolescence and like, I was, you know, a bit of an amateur with filmmaking and I feel like I really actually like came into my own as an artist with Void Man. And now, now, now that I feel like, you know, I still have, I'm very confident in my voice. I think going, going back to a more like restrained uh, approach is I think maybe the next move for me. I think with black and white, you know, you, you're working with two colors. You're working with like, a, you know, a, a very limited gradient. And I think you can create, I want to create some like really beautiful and like, I want to restrain myself a lot, but like create, you know, diamonds out of pressure kind of thing. You know, I want to, uh, I don't know. I, I think I will try to limit myself more with the next film, but, you know, also try to achieve and maintain the same kind of ambition. I think with my next film, I am trying to, like, I spent, you know, two and a half years on Void Man, a three-hour film, right? If I spent that, you know, two and a half years on a film that was, like, only, you know, an hour and 20 minutes, I think, like, every single second, every single frame, every single shot of that film has, like, a lot more time uh, available to like spend on it so i think my next film i want it to be like a like absolute like technical masterwork um that's like kind of the main ambition but you know earlier you were mentioning you were talking about ambition and then you know th like the interpretation of ambition with with making a film i think something that came to my mind as you were saying that was folk filmmaking the kind of the idea around folk filmmaking, right? Where the medium is the message and, and the the idea that anyone can make a feature film, like that is ultimately like the central like thesis of folk filmmaking is that you anyone can make a feature, right? And it can be free and it can be available and you can do it. And it's, you know, it's about the promotion of, of making a film no matter, you know, you can be the most limited, you could have literally zero resources, but if you have a camera, you can do it, right? I think... That is like going back to what we were mentioning earlier. I think, you know, the ambition that I demonstrated with Void Man is really, it's the exact same ambition that you and I both share. There's, it's just that creating the product, you know, and it might seem like in like an insurmountable task, like the three hour runtime or even a 40 minute runtime might seem like a huge thing, but you can do it. And that, I think that's like one of the things that I am proud of, of Void Man about is that it, hopefully showed a few people that like you know someone at 19 can make a three-hour feature film like it does the quality does not matter like the the fact is that it is three hours right and anyone can do that kind of thing so yeah i i got a bit off off topic there but i just wanted to put that out there oh that's great
I think it's, I'm, I'm trying to be, I'm trying, I, Ethan, I think it's your turn for a question. I'm trying to, no, you're okay. Sorry. Sorry, I had to cough. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, that was great. I had a thought and now I'm trying to, I'm trying to bring it back. Um, it's more, uh, okay. Okay. No, 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 you, you thought of it. So it's, uh, you know. Okay. So we were talking about um, scheduling actors earlier and all that stuff. How do you, um, how do you get your actors? Like, are these all just friends? Cause that's how we, um, most of our movies happen is it's people that we know that we, we drag into movies, um, whether they want to or not, we make them actors. Um, how does it kind of work for you? Is it a lot of friends or do you uh, pull from like local actor, like Facebook groups or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah, so these are all like every, pretty much every single um, character actor in, in Voidman and so forth. Bro. They're all from my high school. So they're all high school friends. Um, yeah, they're just from high school. I think that what, another thing that is like important is that when you are young, it's very important to maintain ambition and try to uh, try to achieve things that you, when you're older i feel like when you're older it's like much harder like i was able to make void man because i was 19 or 18 right yeah i was actually 18 when i shot the film and that's because i was young and i had access to a lot of you know friends from high school i didn't have to you know pay off my mortgage i didn't have to pay rent i didn't have to deal with a lot of adult stuff um so yeah they were they were just like a lot of like school friends and um yeah oh that's great what was your um did like for scheduling because scheduling is always a nightmare um mm. what's your process for like scheduling people or what are your tips for people who are trying to schedule their first feature film and yeah. trying to figure all that that out so my scheduling process is both soap opera and void man which i like no one told me this i just kind of adopted this i just like assumed this is how it's done i don't know i don't know how effective this is but i mean you know it allowed me to make a a, a, a three-hour feature uh, shot across like 80, 82 days or something like that. Anyway, my process is I make a schedule that is like literally the single like best case scenario. Like, so the best case scenario for soap opera was like, I think six days. In six days, if everything goes according to plan, I can shoot this entire thing, right? And the schedule, the, the days are uh, located around the locations. So if there's, a, if there's three scenes in a house, I say, okay, day one, it's all the scenes in a house. And then if there's two scenes, you know, in a mall, day two, it's all the scenes in the mall, right? My best case scenario schedule for Voidman was 22 days, um, which is which is a long time in and of itself. The, the the thing about you know creating the best case scenario schedule is that it will never it will never actually you know go according to plan like it'll always go all right uh so with soap opera it was like six days but it ended up being about two weeks with void man it was 22 days but you know it ended up being plus 80 or something like that so it was a lot of yeah it was a, there was a lot of extension but basically my my method is i create the best case scenario schedule and then I just try to just try to build off that. So maybe if I, you know, day one, I don't get the very last scene, well, then we'll put that into another day or we'll make that day 23 and, and add another day, um, you know, and someday, I mean, look, some days, uh, like I think my sixth day of shooting Void Man, there was like a, a, 
Uh, there was a, there was all these scenes at the house, the the, the drone shot I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. where you know that comes out. There's like I think twelve pages of the screenplay, six to twelve. I can't remember the exact number. That are all takes place in that house, and I wanted to shoot every single scene in that house on that single day. Um, and I did. I actually did. I successfully. It was a very intense shoot. It was like from minute one to to you know however long. I was just going, you know, and I was like, making making a fiction film is physically exhausting, right? Um, and yeah, but then you know, sometimes it does work out. The best case scenario, you know, days like you know, you have a day and meet the deadline, and that's great. But typically, it won't work out. But that's like, I know that like scheduling a film seems like a really hard task, but you pretty much just have to wing it. You know, you just have to like just just do it and then keep working, keep working, keep working. I have a similar process to you um because what i'll do is i'll divide the screenplay up by depending on what's more of a tricky variable like if for ladanza the newest the one we just shot oh, no. um there's a lot of little danger i'm i am so hyped for ladanza holy shit that trailer oh my god I was watching the trailer at my family's uh, like Christmas party, and I was sitting in the corner. Of the- I've seen it so many times. I was just watching it again on my phone in the corner. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, the uh, the the locations were a big variable because there's really not that many cast members. So what I did was I broke up the schedule by location. So I said, okay, all the the scenes that take place at a house will be shot this day. All the scenes at the park will be this day and so on and so forth. Um, but I'll do that for other feature films, like say, um, I, gee, I'm forgetting the exact one. I think maybe for Great American Sleepover, Ethan, or in that era, what we would do was we didn't organize days by location, but by actors. So whoever was in the scenes, we would try to group them by actors, but, and then put them all into our perfect days, so to speak, where, mm-hmm. okay, ball goes according to plan. Um, this is how we're going to shoot it. And of course, yeah. it never does. Because filmmaking yeah. is problem solving. Um, I, th- I think you say that in your behind the scenes doc of, of Soapbox, yeah. I think. Um, that filmmaking is problem solving. How do, you, how do you keep a clear head when you're on set and everything is going wrong? I mean, I, how does anyone, I don't, I don't know, I guess like... Like there was, there was a day, it's funny you actually mentioned that the, the story I was telling earlier, how I, I had the perfect day where we shot the 12 pages in the one day. Right. Mm-hmm. I, so it was all, I'm just going to tell this quick story. I went to the, the person's house to film and I'm waiting there and it's like 9am or whatever. And not a single cast member turns up like oh. no one shows up. <laughs> oh, right. And I'm like, oh my God. Okay. So what we do, I feel like such a burden. What we do is we get in that car and we drive to every single person's house and we knock on that door and I'm like, hey, uh, are we still shooting today? And they have to like get dressed, get ready and everything. And then eventually like a couple of hours behind, because they were all like, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely shoot. And then they, every single person slept in. So they all felt bad and they're like, no, 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 we'll de- like, we'll give me a couple of minutes. I'll get dressed. I'll come. I gathered around all the people. I'm already like two hours behind schedule. I have to film like 12 pages. Um, I don't know. You just kind of have to just keep, just don't back down. You know, like you have to have this like kind of blind 
sheer ambition that's like this like incredible drive um you just have to have this incredible drive and you have to have like this like deep conviction to just see the project through especially with void man i was like i cannot like i spent a lot of money on void man you know the camera and the mics and everything and the scale of it like it takes a lot out of you so i was like if i don't give this 110 percent there's literally no point to making this film so and I think that honestly that that philosophy should be adopted to every kind of film but it does take a lot out of you like it was very physically exhausting you know after like a few weeks I like my I was like eating a lot and then not eating at all and I was like very like sleep deprived and my life was like thrown out of whack and everything was just upside down um but you know, you only get to make, you only get to shoot a feature film like a finite amount of times in your life. You can't just kind of, it's not just something that like happens all the time. So when you, and like for me, I'm the type of filmmaker who like likes to wait a while between projects. Like I don't like to just kind of create, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I'm the person who likes to like really like methodically plan on when I like release something and I want it to be like an event, you know? So when I do make a feature film, I just try to put everything in my soul into it awesome um so i'm laughing because i picture you i mean you say you go to every cast member's house just the image of you standing there like in your void man costume just like with like a weapon under your coat like it's just time to shoot it's time to film yeah (laughs) that's so great um we can we've definitely had experiences like that where actors forget or sleep in or you know you know they forget or whatever it's, any problem that's happened yeah yeah it's yeah but it's like really good again like everything that goes wrong just prepares you really well for the next thing that goes wrong so like the more you're exposed to that the better it is for you so like i know filmmakers get terrified of things going wrong early on but it's like it's gonna happen like you just gotta ride that wave and you'll get better at yeah. it each time like now when things don't go great for us it's pretty like yeah cool like we kind of you, you know it's gonna happen at some point i know with um ladonza when jordan would ask us to be like available to help out on set like what you would schedule um every day as if we weren't gonna be there but ask us anyways yeah the yeah yeah um that's actually i don't think i've talked about that but yeah that's a good kind of lesson or tip so what and something I told Zach where he was scheduling his movie too. Yeah. On the last few days of Ladanza, I had I think three more shooting days to do, and I knew that I absolutely needed Zach and Ethan there for at least one of those days. And what I did was I was like, okay, but I knew I would love for their help for all three of those days. So what I did was, in my head, I was like playing, okay, I'm gonna assume that I can't shoot with Zach and Ethan. For all three of those days but i'm going to assume that i only have it for one day and kind of go into shooting that day that put that footage for that that shooting block um just planning like okay i'm going to be alone i need this this and this is here's how we're going to shoot it and kind of having that backup plan already locked and loaded uh ready to go because otherwise you know you you know when they can't show up or you know things go wrong you're kind of like a deer in the headlights um i think it's a really good philosophy i think you both of you guys know this um just you got to be like what you got to be able to change and adapt and when something life 
throw something your way, you got to just be able to be like, cool, great. That's how things are. Like there's no, you can't get angry. You can't get bad. You can't, I mean, of course you can feel that way, but like you can't, you just got to roll the punches essentially. Oh, well, um, it, it is, um, it is also like, you have to remember that like you, like everyone being in your film, like they're doing a huge favor to you, you know, like you're exactly. not like provide, I mean, you might be providing food, but like. Jack, I, I didn't pay any of my actors or anything like that. Like they, they, they did it because they wanted to, but it was also a huge favor. And so it's like, you can't demonstrate like frustration out on them ever. Right. Like you have to have to be like, exactly. some most complete respect for them. Exactly. And real quick, she goes, you think I, oh, you're good. every day, every time when Zach and Ethan shot on LaDonza with me, i made sure that they were fed. They had snacks and they had drinks on the very last day of shooting. Because it was the last day, because it was going to be like maybe three hours, four hours at the very most, but I think it ended up being like three hours or something. Um, I was like, okay, we're going to get in. We're going to be out quick. I brought, you know, so I just brought the gear that we had. And for, for whatever reason, um, you know, we were shooting for a little bit and you're like, hey, Jordan, did you bring any drinks? And I was like, oh, I forgot. I felt so bad. <laughs> I just wanted like, some water. I know, I know, but it was it was a funny moment of like, great, we're gonna shoot, and I was like totally in the head of like just there to shoot, not necessarily thinking about what the crew needs necessarily. Um, yeah. But I think that's it's easy when you're starting out filmmaking. It's easy to kind of like you said, it's easy to kind of kind of get stuck in your own head, care about the project a bunch, kind of forget about the people who are helping you out. Um, I'm down. You know, it's a, it's a good lesson. You know, you got to respect and, and show appreciation for your crew and your cast members when you are filming with no budget. A hundred percent. You know, um, all right. We've talked about some good days on set. I just have one more days on set question for you. Um, what's, was like, what was your favorite shooting day for, for void band and for soap opera? Like, was there a certain scene that you shot that was great or just a day that went super well or any wild stories. Yeah. I'm trying to think my favorite shooting day. I honestly, I think it was that, that story of the 12 pages shooting that in one day. Cause that was like a huge, like from the depths of hell, no one shows up to like getting it all done. Um, that's pretty good. I know like <laughs> that day we also did film the, the long take inside the house and the drone shot. Like we achieved a lot of, of great things that day. Best um, there was, I don't know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of days that I gave my, like, crew, like, a lot to do. Like, there was this long take that we filmed. It's this four-minute, um, four-minute long take of two characters walking and talking that ultimately, like, it's in the film, but it's kind of chopped and screwed. Um, that was, like, a fun day, but an intense day and, and a hard day. Um, I think, I think the day we filmed the opening scene, Right, we filmed like the opening scene. That was like a great day because it was like it was raining. We're like, oh, I don't know if we can shoot. And I was like, well, let's just like lean into it. Like it wasn't, you know, we weren't planning for it to be raining, but we'll just do it anyway. Yeah. And I think it turned out great. And then obviously, the you know the the scene at night in the opening scene where you know Void Man's first introduction. I think I'm also like very proud of how that turned out. There are there are days where things. It's so funny, like you have to expect the unexpected, but the unexpected is not always bad. Like sometimes there are things that turn out that actually like are benef you know, a beneficiary to the, the product, to the film itself and to yourself. 
Um, and then there are days that just I go absolutely like terrible and, and bad. Uh, I think, you know, I think the worst day on set, I know the worst day on set was, <laughs> was the day at the end of act one, there's this like, there's this scene where, um, there's like a car chase between like Voidman and Redman where, uh, Redman is tailing Voidman and like they're driving through Cameltown and then they like get out and comes an on foot chase and then they go to like the woods and in the bush and then like it becomes that and it becomes a shootout. And that was like a very like hot day, very intense very physically demanding. I like suffered like heat stroke. Um, I like almost like collapsed and everything. I was like in the void man gear and carrying the camera around and, and there was like a lot of like tension that day. Cause everyone was kind of like fed up and was like, you know, it was like a really tough time. Um, and I wasn't like very happy with like the footage we were capturing. So that was like one of like the, like the hardest and like you know, one of like the worst days on set, but even that was like not that bad. Uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Going back to what you were talking about filming in the rain, we had a, a film professor, Jordan and I, who that was a piece of advice she gave us of always shoot in the rain because it's going to make your footage that much better looking and just so much. She just talked about all the, the, the energy that that gives your scene and free production value and we live in Oregon so it rains all the time here so it's like hard to avoid it anyways so and it was, it was a metaphor yeah. for adapting to things you know if you're shooting outside and you got to shoot and everybody's there and it starts raining just shoot in the rain don't worry like yeah. you don't yeah. have time to like oh no it's not like I mean of course if it's a movie set and like I don't know that's a point of the movie of like it never rains in this town or something then I guess yeah you can't but yeah you gotta, you gotta change. You gotta be, you gotta be like water. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, I want to ask for void man. Cause I, I can't remember if I, you've mentioned this before or not, who was running camera were, were like the crew for you. Was it just you directing and remaining the camera or were there a couple of friends who you had on uh, gear and everything? Yeah. So pretty much every single shot that I'm not in, I'm behind the camera. I'm, I'm the one like, uh, uh, manning that. And then every, and then, um, every shot that I am in, it's often the other crew. I would never give them like a lot of like difficult tasks. Like, I, I don't think you really notice when you watch the film, but if you, if you, I think void man, like my character is not involved in a lot of like complex camera movement. You know, the only time he's really involved in like complex camera movement is the fight scene with between me and Red Matt under the uh, the bridge, and then there's like it ends with that drone shot that like flies into the sky. That's the only time where my character I think is like really like put into like some like uh, strenuous camera movement. Um, but yeah, it was pretty much just the crew. It was just uh, you know my friends. Uh, it was primarily yeah, just pretty much just the crew and just like. Yeah, whoever was available, you know, like that's the that's the folk filmmaking way ultimately. You know. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I have a really specific question. Um somewhat personal, so don't feel obligated to share, but it's something that Ethan and I can have experience with. So is your girlfriend in uh Void Man? Yes, yeah. Okay. Well yeah. So my my ex girlfriend is in oh, Void Man. Okay. So we actually we actually did break up um earlier this year. Um, it's just took a personal turn, but, um, yeah, no, no, no. So she is in Voidman. She actually plays Angela. 
uh, slash Sapphire, which is like my love interest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we're both, we're both still like very proud of the film. We're both like friends, and we're both on good terms and everything. But we did make the film when we were together. Because, and again, don't feel to you know share if you don't want to. That's fine. I asked because Ethan and I, uh, his wife, my girlfriend, they both appeared in our movies, and right. kind of. In the early stages of the relationships, I don't know, you can speak for Sarah better than I can. Yeah. I feel, uh, my girlfriend, Amanda, she was way more willing to be on camera because it was like a new relationship, you know, and everything. But now kind of it's, you know, been like six, almost seven years. She's like, yeah, I don't really want to act. I don't like, I just do it because I just did it because I wanted to spend more time with you. Um, Yeah. I don't know about your experience about Ethan or... Um, but like my, my, my girlfriend does not want to act or anything. And I was curious if having worked with, with, a, with like someone you're in a relationship with what that, di- that dynamic was like, cause I know some partners work really well together on film. Some don't and they're total opposite Ethan. I mean, what, what's it like for Sarah? I mean, it's kind of similar, well, isn't it? It's similar. She doesn't like acting. She doesn't like the sound, like hearing her voice, um, which is like everyone. When you hear it, you're like editing. Everyone always hates their voice. Like I'm so desensitized now. I don't care. Um, but yeah, so she, like our first date was filming um, Ready, Set, Smile. So we filmed that. Your first well, was our first like real date. <laughs> well, no, because we did that. And then we went to go see Lego Batman that night. And that was the date. But we count the filming as part of the date now. Um, but we did that and then she acted in a couple other things every now and again, but the most recent thing she was in was wild boys three. Um, and I didn't think she was going to say yes. (laughs) Luckily she did. Um, and I even was like, when I pitched her, I was like, you don't have to say a single line if you don't want to, we just need you to be there and to like be mad at me. She didn't have to speak, but she had some great lines and she did her filming. She had some great one-liners. Yeah. What sucks is now she'll never watch Wild Boys 3. <laughs> so, oh well. But yeah, I don't cast her in much anymore. Like, I'd, I'd maybe ask right. her if I really was in a pinch, but I don't I don't expect her to be in things anymore, which is fine. And she's okay with that, too. But I yeah. guess, back to back to our question, I mean, are there, are there close people that you're with who you can just always count on to film with, or... Like, or are there people who you film with a bunch and they're like, uh, I'm not into it so much anymore. Yeah. No, I think, yeah. Like, so my friend, uh, Jonathan, who plays Kandaris, who's like the main antagonist slash protagonist of the film, he's a very close friend of mine. And we, so I still was like really like able to count on him for soap opera. So I, when I approached him for Void Man, he was, he was down with it, but him and I both didn't realize like how intense the, uh, the process would be and i think also you know with my ex-girlfriend she was like also down to film but it was i think it took void like the intensity of void man took everyone by surprise myself included where it was like holy like we are like really this is taking a lot you know and it's taking a long time it's like going you know triple the triple over budget triple over like schedule and everything um and i think like you know it, it can get tough and it can actually become like quite strenuous you know and as i was mentioning earlier like when you dive in and you try to like give it your all it can like really take it out of you and and 
I think, you know, there were a few cast members, you know, like my ex-girlfriend or even like Jonathan who were like, you know, it was like getting tough on them towards the end because I was like asking a lot out of them. They were like having to give me a lot, you know, and it, it did like, it was kind of, it was a, like a tumultuous time. And I think I, I've learned a lot from that experience and like I learned a lot of things not to do. And like, you know, you can only, you can only like, you know, give your, give your friends you know, these are your friends at the end of the day you can only give your friends so much um and yeah i think like you know going forward i do definitely want a much more like relaxed uh set in a relaxed environment um before i forget because we got to cover this um literally the day we record so this episode's going to come out probably in january about um but the day we're recording this is a special day for one of our fellow filmmaker friends um, someone, a fellow Australian for, for you, uh, Radul's movie, Egomaniac, The Heart of Gold mm. has just come out today, which yes. are in. So I'm in, yes. We talked a little bit about the movie with Radul, but at the time the movie had not come out, so he couldn't say much. Yeah. Uh, great entry, by the way. Oh yeah. Thank you. Well, Radul is so easy to talk to. He's, he's great. Gets yeah. great answers. Um, no, Take us back to when you and Radul met up to filming. Yeah. Like, I, w- I want to hear it all, how you guys got connected. Yeah, let's do it. So, uh, as aforementioned, the making of Sobover video, he that came up in his YouTube recommended. That video, by the way, that video is like an hour and 19 minutes. Like, that could be a feature film in and of itself. Um, but he, he saw that video and he uh, watched the entire thing. And, uh, you know, was really, um, he reached out to me and he said, Hey, you know, I, I watched, I watched this. I thought it was really good. I thought this was, you know, really good. And I'm like, it's really cool. And then I like, you know, um, messaged him back. I was like, Oh, you know, thank you for watching this. And then I believe he interviewed me for soap opera, um, all the way back in like 2020, I think it was like November of 2020 or some, somewhere around there. And he interviewed me for soap opera and then I was also like about to shoot Void Man. So he started like talking to me about Void Man. And then, uh, then I shot Void Man. And then over the course of 2021, we started to become friends. We started to become, you know, closer. We would just, you know, message each other back and forth. We had a couple of Zoom calls. I remember telling him I had this, I had this story in my head. And so we, I said, oh, can I tell you this like idea I have in this, in my head? And he said, sure. Yeah. And so we, we went, we, you know, jumped on zoom we also realized that we both lived in sydney i think that's a huge factor into why we, we've maintained a friendship and why we became friends is because we were in close proximity to each other you know we're both in the same city and we're both sort of at the same age we're very similar in age we're only six months apart we're both trying to achieve the same thing so there's just a lot of similarities so that just we just kind of naturally clicked and then uh, i remember telling him this i tried to explain the story i had in my head and it was like a four hour long Zoom call where I like went through everything uh, and we like really bonded and we just kept we kept talking and then he um he was also trying to make I believe he was trying to make thank god for drugs right uh in 2021 and so he was like kind of you know and I was also simultaneously making Boyd Man uh and but then thank god for drugs kind of was like fell through I think in like September um and 
Uh, he also released The Last Day of Childhood. That was another thing, right? He, at the beginning of 2021, he released The Last Day of Childhood. And so we kind of bonded over that. So we just kind of kept in close proximity. We also watched, um, I think it was in June, we watched Mean Streets by Martin Scorsese. We watched, it's the third film he ever made. We watched it in 35mm. That was the very first time we met. Uh, it was the very first time he'd ever seen something projected on film and watched it like that. And that was a great day. Yeah, we just kind of became friends. I think we have a lot of similarities and sort of, um, and we kind of understand each other really well. Um, we're both, you know, I think quirky in similar ways, but we kind of express it differently. So, yeah. And so then he then earlier this year asked me to be in his film, Egomaniac with Out of Gold. But I mean, at the time he just said, can you be in film two, right? Like that's how he kind of refers to his films, film one, film two, film three. Um, so I was like, yeah, I can be in it. And so he, um, you know, picked me up. Um, and then, you know, drove me to his house and he, you know, gave me the screenplay and I read it. I read my scenes. I didn't know anything about the film. I literally didn't know anything about the film until like a few hours ago when I, when I sat down and watched it. Um, we should definitely talk about the film as well, Jordan, because I think it's, there's a lot to, there's a lot to talk, but, um, yeah. And then we, so we filmed and that was a good experience. You know, I got to kind of see him in his element, you know, see how he films, um, and yeah, it was only one day of shooting. I'm not in the film that much, but I, I do have a somewhat, you know, interesting role, substantial role. Uh, yeah. Are, are from your memory, or I guess when you shot, were, was there anything that was cut that didn't make it into the film? Or was that, was that pretty representative of what you spent doing when you were shooting? I think it's, it's fairly representative, you know, but the thing with, with Myrtle and his his kind of style is that you know he discovers a lot through the editing process you know so like it's it's ironic I, my my philosophy with filmmaking is like you know you write and then you shoot and then you edit kind of thing and like the writing the writing needs to be like you need to get that perfect right and then when you shoot it kind of builds upon the screenplay it builds upon what you've written and then when you edit it builds upon you know what you what you shot and it's like a the film is like made and and killed and made and killed three times with Myrtle I think it's a completely different process I think it's like the editing is really that is like the central point of creation for him and like the writing and the and the shooting that's only there to get through the editing and so he discovers so much through editing I mean just from watching Egomaniac but even Last Day of Childhood mm-hmm. he creates um he creates these like narrative threads he creates this momentum um through how he cuts two images together, or the music he plays, or or the flashes of the lights. Um, and I think with Egomaniac, like yeah, I'm in the film, but like it didn't really go the way we shot it. Even though he kind of left everything in because he he cut it up and he changed it up and he you know changed around the pacing and he really created something out of nothing. Ultimately, yeah, yeah. No, I really um, I aspire to be as good as an editor as Merdul because he. Yeah. I mean, to me, I think editing is, for me, I think um, that's one of my favorite aspects of filmmaking. And that's one of the things that I value most. And to get to that point where he's able to like manipulate his footage in just that way that he does. So um, it's so beautiful. It's so gorgeous. 
it was a real struggle yeah. I've had for the last few months editing Ladon. So it was just trying to like, okay, I, I several points. I'm like, okay, I got to think like Radul right now. I got to like, how would he do yeah. this? And just actually some of that. Yeah. I feel the, uh, I feel the exact same way. I, I remember watching last day of childhood at the very beginning of 2021. And that actually like pulled me and influenced me a lot. I'm like, wow, this guy kind of created so much from so little, you know? And so going into Void Man, remember I shot Void Man for one entire year. And I think Riddle, Riddle's film was always in the back of my mind. Um, and it was this, you know, the way he was able to manipulate um, the frame and, and he was able to create so much from the footage he compiled. I definitely took that philosophy into Void Man. And I think it's a, it's a, at this stage of filmmaking, I think that's an incredible mentality to have. Very useful. Ethan, I don't want to hog the mic, the no, metaphorical mic here. You go ahead. You're doing good. No. Um, yeah, was the, um, so you said you only got the script pages for your, just your scene. Was that something you asked for or was that just what Merdul does when he's uh, directing a movie? Does he only give his actors the scenes that they're in? Yeah. Mirthal didn't even want to give me any, like, he didn't want to give me any single, like, screenplay, nothing. I, I was, that's correct. Because when I did Void Man, uh, no, not a single person except uh, Max girlfriend Olivia and and my best friend Jonathan knew I had read the entire screenplay. Every single other person, I said, "Here are your scenes for the day, uh, and we'll go from there." So I I wanted like I was like, "Oh, can you give me the screenplay?" Because I kind of want to like rehearse my lines. He's like, "Oh, you know, I'll give it to you on the day." And I was like, "You know, I don't want to turn in a bad performance." And I, he doesn't. I think he he doesn't like. You can't really have a bad performance in a in a riddle chiba film because it's like the editing is the central actor of the film. It's the it's the driving force. It's not. I don't think his films at this stage are very like performance based. And I, he did talk about that in um your lot in your interview you did with him where he said yeah. these three films are like sort of him becoming like learning to become a filmmaker, and then his next three films will be like more literary, but maybe more like traditional. So. Yeah, he didn't. He wasn't really like that fussed about like performance because he. I think he has the faith in him that it'll just all pan, come through in the end. It's wild. He's got such a different mindset. It's so cool. He does. Yeah, very innovative. Yeah, I really want to dive into the movie, but I don't want to spoil things for you, Ethan. But I know I, I'm. It's, I ruined it. No, no. It well, it literally just came out like <laughs> two hours ago, three hours ago. Yeah, literally like yeah, like it. Uh, um, like yeah, I said, I, I was anxious. I've been anxiously watching the YouTube, just hitting refresh, like whenever, just because I wanted to see it before this. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, what I can say though is Ethan, we, same reaction, I'm sure. But when the trailer came out for Ego Maniac and you were there, I was like, oh my gosh, it's a crossover. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was exciting. Uh, what was your, did you have a similar reaction when you saw the trailer? Me? Oh, I was so to Mohan. What? Like I'm like okay. <laughs> like finally, yeah. Because I I would imagine when you shot the scene. Sorry, for not specifying. Yeah. Um, when you shot the scenes, you're like, okay, that was cool. But knowing Redul, like he's gonna chop it up, you know, however he wants. So what was it like finally seeing that footage? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was very interesting. It's it's uh, I I feel like I really like it. I've finally like seen myself in someone else's film and it's like a very like holy shit moment where it's like, oh, so this is how 
like literally every other person around me feels like when they see themselves on a film you know and you know there were moments where i was like oh like you know, my acting could have been better there i could have done that better but like yeah i think it's 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 quite cool to be in someone else's project and when i watched the trailer and i saw myself in it, i was actually quite surprised because one of my uh philosophies with sort of marketing is i try to show very little so like for example i never show like i have this philosophy where i cannot show the opening scene of my film and i cannot see and i cannot show the final scene of my film ryan i'm always like with the marketing board man i want to like really like redirect and like every single film i make like you will never ever see the opening scene of it in, in any in any kind of trailer because i want when you like first sit down to watch a film i want you to be like kind of blindsided and really like taken by the opening um but in Riddle's, in Riddle's trailer, I am in it, and, and I am also you know, in the opening scene of the film very briefly. And so I was like quite surprised to see that, and we were talking about it. I was like, oh, I was surprised that like you you showed me, you are like, you know, you showed the opening scene. He was like, oh, like, I don't, I'm not trying to make like an artistic trailer. Like, I'm trying to like make something that's like commercially viable and that like people will see. And like the Egomaniac trailer is making like, insane views you know so i think it's working and i think like he's trying to like build this sense this sense of scope and scale uh with the marketing yeah <laughs> yeah what's um <clears throat> so we're talking about marketing do you have kind of uh when your movie's coming out how do you market or how do you advertise it because i feel like every folk filmmaker is a little different in how they go about it oh yeah and, and adding on to that really quick word forget uh, what did you think of the Quantum Media Ant Man and the Wasp trailer? Because I know that must have felt very similar. Yes, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll answer Ethan's question first. <laughs> so my philosophy with marketing is, what well, I'm the type of person who likes to keep things really close to the chest, right? So like I don't want to reveal anything that like I absolutely have to. So. You know, the ver the first trailer for Voidman came out, I believe it was like June of 2021. It was very, very, very vague. It pretty much gives you nothing. Even the second trailer pretty much gives you nothing. It's just meant to be like shots of the film. I didn't want to like reveal anything, right? Like the way I, I the way I thought of it, I was like, look, the people who are going to watch it, I'm going to watch it regardless. The people who aren't, just aren't. And it's like a three hour film. So it's like, if you sit down to watch it, you're like making the willing commitment. And I don't know like how good a, a trailer like at this level can be maybe that's like the wrong philosophy to have but that's just like that was the mentality i had at the time so i like to keep things really close to the chest i think riddle is a little different he likes a bit of more of like a feedback loop i think if you guys remember he did actually release the um this this series egomania like i think he he released a couple minutes of egomania uh each single day so like day one he'd release like the opening scene and then day two he'd release the same scene but with like a little changes so, and he was telling me that he needs that, like that feedback loop and he needs to see people kind of like engaging with the product and that really motivates him and drives him. For me, I want, like, I want the experience of sitting down to watch the film to be this like incredible, unforgettable, like unexpected, memorable, uh, event, you know, and I don't want to ever like send out any, like, you know, I don't, I don't want to reveal anything I don't need to. I'm very, I try to be very restrained with my marketing with my trailers it does kind of buy me um because it's like you know maybe not as much people are watching it but even in my real life my day-to-day -day, i don't watch any trailers for any any film right like i like to go into movies completely blind 
I didn't watch a single trailer for the Batman. I didn't watch a single trailer for, you know, Avengers Endgame. Um, I like to just sit down and just let the experience wash over me. Um, so that's like, that's what I try to maintain when, um, when films like when, you know, that's the, that's the energy I try to maintain with my own film, which is like the energy I also maintain going into other people's films and Jordan. Your question, sorry, what, what what was your question again? I forgot. So, did you see the Ant Man and the Wasp? That's right. Because yeah, it was uh, upon looking back at your trailer for soap opera, I was like, oh my gosh, she beat Marvel by like three years. Yeah. So, if anyone doesn't know what Gordon is talking about, so my someone sent me this trailer, which is which is like they're like you need like I know you don't watch trailer, but you need to watch this. And I was like, okay. They play the Elton John song Yellow Brick Road um, in MN and the Wasp Quantumania, which is the song I used for uh, soap opera way, way, way back when in 2019, when I was 17. Um, yeah, I, I was, I, uh, I laughed and I was like, yeah, it's a good song. I can understand why they, uh, they use this musical piece. Do you have any, um, tips on editing the trailer because it sounds like you like to keep play more like shots cool shots from the movie but not give too much away are there any other tips you have for editing the trailer yeah so my okay so when i end it i have a couple like trailer philosophies one if you watch the trailers uh, for boy band and for soap opera the sort of like character associations are never really clear for so for example like if you watch the trailer for void man you would not know that void man and sapphire slash angela are like uh like in the same scene that like in the trailer does not reveal that uh like a lot of the characters you don't know like who knows who or what is what kind of thing so that's another that's the thing i like to keep is that like there's this element of like you know you can see all the pieces but you don't see how they fit together right uh another thing is I like to kind of misdirect. So like, you know, I like to kind of build the trailer up to like perhaps a scene that is not really like the climax of the film. You know, the climax of Void Man, the, I think the entire third act of Void Man is like, it's not even in the trailer of the film. Um, and I wanted that third act to be like completely, like when you go into it, like, like after hour two, like after the second hour going into the third, it's like you've literally like not a single frame that you've seen, right? So it's like a completely fresh, you're like at this point where you're like, okay, everything that was revealed in the trailers, I've seen up until this point. So now it's just like, I have no idea like how, how this one is going to end or how it's going to conclude or where it's going to go, you know? Um, and I also do like to put in a lot of uh, deleted or like unlike cut uh, footage into the trailer. Like, you know, just like to fill up some of the dead air um, just to like, you know, push some of that um misdirect i think that was my philosophy with both soap opera and void man is just like show some really cool shots show like the kind of like the technical essence of the film because that's kind of what for me that's what draws me into cinema as well is like how it looks right like i i love um the batman and i think part of the reason i love it is because of the way it looks right and if like avengers endgame was shot by matt reeves maybe i would have like loved it even more um but I think my philosophy is actually changing. So when I do go into film three and I make my third film, I think I will market more of the actual like plot and the actual, you know, the the mechanics of the film more to an audience and like try to actually convince them to be invested rather than just 
show incredible cinematography but like i do want my third film to like look like i want it to be looking like incredible like beautifully crisp nice nice ethan do you have any last questions but we'll move on to the next segment let's do the next segment all right so uh we've come to the part in our show where we talk about you know what are you working on what are you watching you've kind of hinted that you're planning a film three but you don't know what it is yet can you share what you're doing now is there i mean are you working on any film related stuff now yeah so well after void man which was just an incredibly like strenuous and like legitimately like painful experience like i like i put everything into that film i spent years on it i think like i this entire year i've kind of just been like decompressing i spent pretty much my entire 2021 in this room editing right so i think with this year i kind of i wanted to change that up i wanted to like step outside you know live life a little bit more i'm actually moving to amsterdam um next year in february and i'm moving there for one year i'm going i'm going to be living there alone um so and then that's for for school and uh that should be a very like life-changing experience but basically the way i interpret my films my filmmaking journey is basically like you know i live a life and then i reflect on the life i've lived and then i translate that into a film right so i think void man is very it's a very introspective film with myself and it's you know i pull a lot from my life my life experience and i put that into that film uh, i think the exact same thing will happen with with film three i think i've, I've learned a lot of, of lessons this year and i've lived a very interesting life this year and i think the ne- the following year as well the next year will be like very formative maybe like one of the single most formative years of my life and i think i am in the process of kind of learning and living and then i think when i come back or maybe a year after i come back i will like sit down you know introspect reflect and then think okay how can i translate that into this but right now for whatever reason my head my my head is at this is in this black and white world right like i keep picturing this this i keep picturing these black and white images i don't know why but i think my third film will be in black and white and i think like i I don't usually like talk about things before they're even like conceptualized but you know i I gotta give you guys something um but like the (laughs) i think the third film will be in black and white ethan i'm sure you have you probably have some tips because you you know you did the bell rings in black and white you Um, can't mess up black and white that's all i'll say yeah so good that's another (laughs) that's another thing is that like I'm always trying to push myself with my films, so I always want the films to obviously be better and to be a, a more of a technical achievement, right? And also, ob- obviously, a narrative achievement. But the narrative thing, it's like, that's on you, you know? Like, that's like you kind of just have to, like, you can do that if you really put your mind to it. But the technical aspect, I think black and white, you can get really creative. So right now, for me, film three in my head, it's like a film that takes place um, only at nighttime. It's in black and white, and it's like this noir maybe investigative film that's like quite dark and 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 dense and descending and spiraling um yeah i don't know why i just feel like and i think i also do interpret uh soap opera void man and this third ambiguous film as like a trilogy of films right so i think if you watch soap opera and and you watch void man there are certainly like themes that kind of carry over and there are like they're in conversation with one another um, I think this third film will kind of like wrap up a lot of the themes and a lot of the ideas, or it will kind of be a sequel to these two films and it'll kind of be like the final 
building point, uh, building off point. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, I have no, I'm not working on anything and I have no like immediate, immediate plans to work on anything, but I definitely will make uh, a third feature film. Uh, you know, I'm a filmmaker and like, it's, it's what I love doing. Uh, and I, I definitely will make a third one. Uh, I think it will, it will take a bit of time, but I do like to, you know, build a bit of hype. I like to, you know, take my time with these things. And when I finally do, you know, release a project, I, I want it to be like an event. I want it to be like something that is memorable and I want it to be an experience, you know? Um, so yeah, that's just where my head's at with my third film. Damn. So we got to wait a long time for your next move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You might. Yeah. But what, trust me, like when it comes out, it will, it will be worth it. It'll be worth it. That's great. Amsterdam. That's going to be a cool location if you get to film out there. Man. Oh yeah. Yeah. I definitely, you know, I might even shoot, um, you know, who knows my third film might be shot in Amsterdam. That'd be a pretty good spot in black and white. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. that's true. Yeah. I ask, uh, I'm sure. Are you going to school there for filmmaking, or is there a specific program you're doing over there? Yeah, so I, I currently go to, to uni, um, university, for both screen production and international studies, right? So, like, learning about, like, the way the world works. I'm going to Amsterdam for the, like, international studies component of the degree, so I'm not really going there for filmmaking. Um, but I do also think film school is kind of, like, a little bit of a waste of time. I mean, like, I think it can be effective, but I definitely don't think I need to be going to film school. Like, I, I you know, I actually, I shot Soap Opera and Void Man before I even went to film school. Like, I even had a single day of film school. So I think it's, I think for some people, they definitely make it work and it's very beneficial. I think just for me and the way I learn, I don't think I necessarily need it. But, you know, um, I do, like, you know, value kind of education in university. And so if I am going to go to university, I think I should at least do some film courses and then and study film a little bit alongside you know, my other thing. Um, but yeah, it is just the international studies component. It's awesome. Yeah. That brings us into our next part of the podcast, which is what are you watching? What movies are you checking out? What have you seen recently? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I've seen, we just, I just watched Egomaniac. We did talk about that. I'm honestly, I'm, I don't know why I think, I think it's just cause it's towards the end of the year. I'm just watching the classics, you know? So, Christmas Day, I watched The Godfather. Last night, I rewatched um, Pulp Fiction. Uh, I think you know, I might, you know, I think I'm gonna watch Goodfellas tonight. I, I don't know why, but I'm just in the mood of just going back so through the classics and just watching like some of the greatest films of all time. Just because uh, I think this year, you know, I spent a whole year kind of like working on Void Man. I think this year, I, I like my movie watching habits were like really bad. I didn't watch a lot of films this year. Which is like I like at the beginning of the year I actually bought like a year long subscription to like Disney Plus, Netflix, Amazon Prime, the Criterion Collection movie. Um, I like was like planning to like spend like every single day of this year just sitting and watching films, but I realized that that like that just wasn't going to happen because I'd I'd done that. I'd been working on on a film for like two and a half years, so I definitely I needed a break from cinema, and I think I've like taken a year long break from it, and I've just you know done some other stuff. But I think is healthy. I don't think like you should attribute all your time to one thing because it can you can get lost in it. It breaks are good. I've taken a break and now I'm just going back through the classics. I'm watching you know some of the greatest films of all time. I'm probably gonna watch you know Godfather Part Two soon and and just keep rewatching like the classics and then uh, you know go on from there. But yeah, I did. Uh, I watched Egomaniac this morning and I watched Pulp Fiction last night and I was 
I'm in the sort of inspiration stage of the of the development process of film three. So you know when you like when you're working on a film that you know you're like feeling really inspired and you watch a film and you're like, oh, I'm definitely going to do that in my next project. I'm definitely going to mm-hmm. feel that and use that. That's like where I'm at. So I was watching Pulp Fiction last night. I was thinking like, oh, I'm definitely going to use some of the things Tarantino's playing around with here and and put it into my third film. But yeah, nice, great. I have to make a recommendation. I don't know if you've seen this, but if we're talking black and white movies, this is one of the top most beautiful black and white movies ever. Have you seen Night of the Hunter? I have not, but it is it is on my watch list. I am I'm definitely going to watch it. Yeah. That one has some gorgeous uh, black and white cinematography. So if you yeah. if you need black and white inspiration, that's a really good one. Yeah. Jordan made me watch it before the bell rings. <laughs> Oh, very nice. I would definitely yeah. watch Night of the Hunter, yeah. Uh, one of my it's favorite true. black and white, one of my favorite black and white films is uh, Yvonne's Childhood, which is uh, Andrei yeah. Tarkovsky's very first film. Yeah. Uh, made in like, I think the 60s or the 50s, but just an incredible, incredible film. I think it was, might have been 1954. Very yeah. good. And that's his most, um, probably his most accessible one too. Yeah. Like, because all his movies are very, very slow, very drawn out. That one is yeah. actually pretty. I mean, pretty standard narrative. Yeah, there are other ones. Very, very pulpy. It has like a good pace. It's a, it's a very, very good film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ethan, we ha- we haven't checked in a while. What have you been watching? I'm curious. What have I been watching? I got this is what I've been watching, but I got the Lighthouse for Christmas, which I'm really happy about. Finally, really. So yeah, I haven't. I didn't own a copy of it yet. So you've never. Wait, I just ha- have you never seen the lighthouse? Oh no, I've seen it tons of times. Okay, cool. I still was gonna say like, so much to make the bell ring. There's literally no way this man makes the bell ring for yeah. Christine the lighthouse. Oh, that would be yeah. the most <laughs> insane. Coffee. Yeah, yeah, I love that movie. So Sarah and I need to watch it soon because she hasn't seen it all the way through. So, um, trying to pull up here and see what I've watched. I watched. Sarah's been watching Game of Thrones. And she'll watch it on her laptop when she's working, and usually I'll be at my desk working, and I can see it. So I'll like be watching over her shoulder Game of Thrones, and so she watched yeah. like the end of the series last night. So I also watched the end of the series last night. I actually like totally watched the last episode, like just like over her shoulder, because <laughs> so I wanted to see how it ended, because I didn't really know. Yeah. So, so I watched the I watched the end of um, Game of Thrones, which was was pretty wow. fun actually. Um, Probably not seen much of it. Yeah. And I don't think I've watched much else besides what we've checked in on last time. So I've watched Dr. Sleep recently and rewatched The Green Knight recently. But that's, that's about it. I don't know. I think I've been behind. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've watched something else recently, but it's just not coming to me. So I've been bad. Right. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. What about you, Jordan? Um, well, I was telling you guys before we started, uh, I just saw Puss in Boots, the new Puss in Boots, mm, yeah. uh, which I had not seen prior to us making our, you know, favorite movies of last year list kind of thing, but that would, that would definitely be on. That was a really beautiful movie. I won't spoil anything, but, um, you know, cause it's like second Puss in Boots movie. It's like the sixth Shrek universe movie. I wasn't like. I was excited, but I wasn't like super duper excited. So was it like Anon in the Shrek universe? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's okay. Anon. Um nice. 
very very it nice. blew me away like just the, all the emotions are right in that one gorgeous um animation style they changed up the animation style it doesn't look like yeah. striker puss in boots like they made it a little bit more uh stylized like a little more graphic i like um, it but yeah it's it's up there like with spider-verse like it's very similar in tone really and style and mood to spider-verse in a way spider-man into the spider-verse is my single favorite animated film of all time it's so good. Uh, it just it's, it's not as flashy and like yeah gl- glitchy, but it's definitely um, in terms of just ener- pure energy and just creativity. It's 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 really good. It's comparable. Um, yeah, but yeah. Thank you so much for stopping by. Interview wise, thank you so us. much for having me. We are so excited for whatever you have in store next. Do you have any, you know? plugs so, is there anything you'd like to plug or let the people know where they can find you on twitter on social media on youtube or wherever yes yeah, so you can find me on twitter at uh mohitsubedi um uh same as youtube mohitsubedi basically m-o-h-i-t-s-u-b-e-d-i put those letters in succession and you will you will be able to find me in most places um I, like i said i've made two feature films soap opera and void man even though Void Man is, you know, three hours long, I think it actually might be the more accessible of the two films. You know, so, you know, if you do want to, um, but there, I do have like a couple of short films, and also, I think, yeah, we were talking about the making of Soap Opera video. Um, I think that act you've kind of reminded me like how, like, good that video is. I think I might act after this, I might tweet that out just because I feel like that's actually a great video for makers to watch because I think it does put you in the into the mindset um, of making your first feature. I was kind of playing a character in that video. Like I was trying to be like really like a hyper and accentuated. Um, but I think, you know, I do definitely make like a lot of good points there and I provide some good insight. But yeah, you can basically find me on Twitter and uh, at YouTube. YouTube is like my my main thing. Twitter, I just just make my, uh, my film declarations and my film tweets, and then I just delete them a couple of days later when they don't do the numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, thank, thank you guys. Thank you yeah, so much for having me. Yeah, this was great. We can't wait to chat with you again. Mm-hmm.